What's good, everybody? Back again, episode 69, Pops Wisdom Podcast with Cousin Stacy. I've known him my whole life. And he's still a mystery sometimes because I still don't know everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> I usually don't introduce people, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. What I'm going for, for myself, thank you. <laughs> You know, I want to thank you, my cousin Mikey, for allowing me on your platform. I want to thank God for giving me this opportunity. Uh, hello, community. My name is Audrian Stacy Brown. I'm the youngest of six children. I have one sister, four brothers, uh, all older than me, obviously. I was born in Gary, Indiana in 1960. I, um, I'll go a little bit more into my background, but I will not go into my educational uh successes or failures because I really feel that we're always looking for people who has uh, an educational background to show um, that they're worth listening to and I firmly believe that there are a lot of brothers out there and sisters that don't have much education at, at all but deserve to be listened to and deserve uh, a platform and can solve a lot of the world's problems. Uh, they just don't have the platform. This podcast is one such platform that I'm thanking God that I have an opportunity to be a part of tonight. So my early years, and I was born in Gary, Indiana, 1301 Rutledge Street to be exact, uh, and I stayed there till I was about seven. At the age of seven or so, we moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where my father had uh, landed a job at American Motors, which was a very profitable plant for folks back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, until it closed sometime in the 80s. And so we packed up the family and moved to Kenosha. And I stayed in Kenosha until I was about 14 years old, in which case I was voluntold to go to Savannah, Georgia <laughs> uh, from my mother. I just wasn't uh, doing quite as much as I should in Kenosha, she didn't think so opportunity came for me to move to with my sister to Savannah, Georgia. And, it, you know, kind of funny, I thought she was saying Havana. She said Savannah. I said, I was thinking to myself, dang, Mom, I'm that bad? You're going to send me to Cuba? Because <laughs> But Savannah, thank God, was a very, very, very important part of my life. It was a time that I learned what, what I'll say being black, being a black man was really about. Uh, in Kenosha, I was getting C's and D's, just getting by, which wasn't, you know, sitting well with my mother, who was an educator, and would uh, do all she could to make sure kids were educated. So in Savannah, I learned that if you can make an A, make an A. Being black has to do with being the best you can be. And so I, I learned a lot. I learned to first just you know, read your assignment beforehand. <laughs> I'm waiting in the class to try to read my assignment, don't look the teacher in the eye, because I don't want to get called on. But I learned in Savannah, read ahead of time and, and get ready. And I wasn't the only one in that school that was doing it. So I was around black folks that were ready to go get it. They were serious about the education and serious about making themselves uh, better. So that was a significant experience in my life. Uh, from there, I moved back to Kenosha and finished my senior year of high school. After that, I went back to Savannah for a year of college, but uh, I was chasing a basketball dream at that time, and just to date myself, 61 years of age, I was right at the 
time that Larry Bird and the Indiana State Sycamores went to the national championship. So, you know, I was in a hurry to get back over there and try to <laughs> give me some playing time in there. I uh, should have stayed in Savannah because Larry Bird was awful bad man. But So I, I appreciate your, your podcast and I appreciate your, your subject in that I, I firmly believe that there are, like I said, a number of men and women who have an opportunity to solve a number of problems in the world. They just don't have a platform to do it. Right. And so with technology and podcasts and other things, we now have platforms. We don't have to get invited to uh, the Tonight Show or some other show right. uh, to, to say what we need to say and to get things off the ground. And I'd like to share with you all uh, something we're doing in Wisconsin. It's called, entitled, Only We Gonna Save Us. Um, and it's, it's largely been kicked off through the Prince Almasonic family and that we're, it's, it's, it's a civic responsibility that we're, we're dealing with. And mm-hmm. just a little bit, I'll share a story with you and how, how that came about. Uh, just a little bit more about myself. I've had an opportunity to travel a lot, um, had an opportunity to speak a lot. Uh, in my lifetime, I've done a lot of counseling with my peers, youth that are in trouble, adults that are in trouble. Uh, as well as see some very good success stories come out of people that have been in troubled times. And so I have the utmost confidence in the ability of people to do some good stuff in their life. They just need opportunities. So just let me talk a little bit about this, this notion of platform. I've, I've talked to some men who were, um, for lack of a better word, a wino, just a wino on the street. And... Um, we have a tendency to, to blow them off, to, to discount them. But not every wino was a wino at all times. Some people were, I actually talked to a guy who was a mayor of a city, and he fell upon hard times and had some trouble with his wife and children. And next thing you know, he's kind of out on the street just drinking. He had not lost the skill and the knowledge that he had as the mayor. And so I think that you can learn something from everyone. Mm-hmm. if you give them an opportunity and listen to them. And that's really important. I think this podcast is important because I think that there are a lot of lots, lot of life lessons that are being forgotten because no one's passing them on. Right. And we, that, was my, that was my thing. It's, it's a great, it's a God-given uh, subject because mm. it's happening. We don't listen to each other. We don't talk to each other. We don't gather with each other. When we gather, if you watch it, some people eating dinner, you'll see four people sitting there and four different cell phones going. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They will not look up and talk to each Mm-mm. other. Uh, I think technology is good, but I think there are some things that we're missing because we don't have the opportunity to, to share with one another. So I want to thank you for letting God use you, and I want to thank you for this opportunity. Of course. The thing that I want to talk about is is a subject we're doing in, in Wisconsin. I don't exactly know what to call it. I don't want to call it a movement. I don't I don't want it to get commercialized in any manner in which some company decides to take this on and say, yeah, we're doing this in the community in Wisconsin. That's not what this is about. This is only we going to save us. It's just simple as that. Only we going to save us. And it's, it's uh, described in this manner. Only is simply. It's, no one else going to do it. Right. We're going to stop waiting for the government. We're going to stop waiting for the president. We're going to stop waiting for the, the, the governor, the mayor. 
none of that. If they could have done it, if they knew how to do it, they would have done, done it before now. So let's stop waiting on them. Only that means us. We means we. And let me give you the story, the background mm -hmm. of this. About two years in um, in Wisconsin, as you go up the Lake Michigan shoreline, as soon as you leave Illinois, you get into Kenosha. Next city is Racine. The next city is Milwaukee, right along the shoreline, Lake Michigan shoreline. In between the months of June and maybe early August, five five-year-old boys were killed. They didn't run out in front of cars. Hmm. They didn't follow swing sets. They were just flat murdered uh, by people that they knew, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so it got me thinking that, you know, five. if you look at a five-year-old boy, they don't even, they might not know their ABCs yet. They haven't reached the kindergarten age yet. They didn't get to their first day of kindergarten and they're dead. And so it impressed upon my heart and a few others that we got to do something. You know, we're, 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 we're going to do something about at least these little kids getting killed. Now, there's some teenagers that are getting killed that we still need to do something about, but we're, we're just going to start with these preteen kids. Let's stop killing them. Only we going to save us. We, if that story does anything to your heart or your mind, then you're part of we. Yeah. If that doesn't do anything to you, cut me off because I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> right. Only we gonna save us. The next word is gonna. It's simple. It's like the cousin of fitting to it. It simply means something's about to happen. Only we gonna save us. So gonna means we're about to do it. We ain't waiting no longer. We're doing it. The saving part is where it gets a little difficult to explain, but it's real easy to do. It's simply a matter of at least in some cases, let's talk to these kids. Let's talk to the the, uh, the adults that are that are killing these kids. Let's get some messaging out through the club, and whatever that message is that that says, let's stop hurting our kids. Does right. it do something? Maybe it works. If it works for even f one two, we're happy with it. But it's something. Also, the saving part is. You know, when you, you're going to get your morning coffee and you walk in the shop and you see these little kids in there that are getting some Hostess Ho-Ho cakes and a little jug juice or, or soda or Kool-Aid or whatever that is, you know that's their breakfast. Mm. Take a time and ask a kid, do you have good grades? Now, whether they have good grades or not, that's not, <laughs> that's not important. But it's simply, do you have good grades and then buy their, their breakfast for them? Cost you a dollar less. Yeah. You know, if you do that for a month, it costs you thirty dollars less. And for some of y'all who are saying that's too much money, let me just break it down for you a little bit more. Uh, those of you who like Hennessy, a shot of Hennessy, which is about a tablespoon of whiskey, will cost you about ten dollars. Question is, can you live with three less tablespoons of Hennessy this month? If the answer is yes, buy the lunches, buy the breakfasts. Because what that does for this kid, whether they have good grades or not, it says to the kid, somebody out there cares about me getting good grades and they're willing to spend something to buy me something uh, to help ensure that I get in grades. Just to ask me the question. It does something. It sticks in the kid's mind. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happens is we know these kids, uh, every time someone gets hurt, there's a report out there saying, did you know this person? And everyone responds, yeah. 
He was such a good guy. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, I'm telling yeah. you what happened. Somewhere along the line, he didn't become such a good guy. He stopped mm. being such a good guy. Probably because somebody didn't care. And so, mm. what, what can we do about this? We all know whose kids these are. Every time they talk about someone who did something, it's someone's nephew, cousin, brother, sister, auntie, boyfriend, girlfriend, something. Let's take a little time and, and take some notice of what they're doing. For those of you all who have young kids and you have friends of your of kids that are out there strapping these guns on better than they're strapping on a belt, what do you say about it? If you say nothing, I'm giving you an F. You're failing. Mm. And, and I'm not saying that you're going to stop everything, but just try something. How about saying, hey, man, leave that alone tonight? He may say, it's going to come back three ways. One way is F you. <laughs> that way we're all familiar with. Right. F you. The other way is I hear you, but F you. And the third way is, okay, I'll do it. That leaving that gun home one day may save his life, her life, their lives, your life, everyone else's life. Just It's a simple thing. Hey, man, leave it alone for tonight, just tonight. Let's start it right there. Just leave it alone tonight. Another thing in terms of the save category, we have this notion that men don't cry and so we try to teach our boys that as they're becoming they're going to be men sooner or later so they got to learn not to cry mm. so we do things like punch them in the chest mm -hmm. in fact I think that's how one of those young boys died mm. you know they just got punched in the chest now let me you stand over here let me punch you in the chest a couple times and see if I can make you cry I guarantee you I can make you shed some tears <laughs> Let's, we see people doing that. What are we saying about it? If we're not saying anything about it, you get an F. When it's easy to get an A. Now, for y'all listening, Stacy is a large man. <laughs> so, <laughs> a punch in the chest is going to hurt. <laughs> I wasn't always this large. Just a lot, of, a lot of eating and a lot of praying. Because, uh, you know, and, and as I said, living in Kenosha, Wisconsin, one of my biggest fears in life was getting lynched. Mm. I said, mm -hmm. Lord... If you let me get a little bigger and a little stronger, you won't have to worry about this anymore. God took care of his part, and I'm going to take care of my part. There you go. Only we going to save us. We're back under the save part. Mm. Spend a little time looking at your children, teaching your children, teaching your neighbors, getting to know your neighbors, having some kind of conversation with them. I'm not saying you got to go to preach to them. I'm just saying use your platform as a man. Use your platform as a woman to get to know folks and uh, have opportunity to talk to them about it. Right. And the last word is us. Only we gonna save us. Simply us is, is just us. Understanding that we're us. Now I've thought a lot about folks who wanna tear this down for one reason or another. There are a whole bunch of people who, who, who want to say, well, you know what, well, you're not bringing God into this at all. And my response, and I'm asking you all to have the same response. God is automatic. If you're not thinking about God, when, when you say this to someone, stop talking to him. Mm. You know, what if God is waiting on you to do something? You know, do God, God is waiting on you. He's mm. waiting on us. So let's get to it. Once again, this is about a personal responsibility about a civic responsibility. It's not something that is a, a big movement because I don't think we can big movement out of this issue. 
I think we can individual movement out of it. Mm-hmm. Once all of us start taking up and start doing and talking to kids and adults, then things start changing. If we don't, it just gets worse. Yeah, it's gonna, we've already seen how the rabbit hole goes just over the past at least minimum 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, and it's it's continuing to get worse year after year. I think so. I think that, you know, when I think about my life and, and reflect over things, a lot of things I learned from sitting and listening and allowing folks to talk to me because I could easily just tell folks, man, I ain't listening to that stuff. I got something <laughs> else to do. I'm off, I'm off trying to play some basketball. I ain't got time to listen to that. But if you listen to things, you get different viewpoints and you get ways out of some things. I was at a meeting one time when I was probably 12 years old and it was a community meeting. The community getting some money to do something in the community and so they were the folks who were the grant uh, some city officials who got the money mm-hmm. and they were deciding to do whatever they wanted to do with the money and so I knew some of the uh, participants in there. There were some uh, a couple of doctors, I mean uh, doctors of philosophy so well educated men there were a couple of folks who uh, managed some uh, treatment centers and that and they were all standing around. Everyone wanted to ask these folks what do you do with the money? <laughs> no one asked anything there was a man, his name was Mr. Summers, stood about six foot five. He had probably a fourth grade education. Mr. Summers stand up, stood up and said, what we want to know is, where's ours money? It was, it was a question that everyone with all their degrees wanted to ask, but no one wanted to be out of place. No one wanted to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. It took a guy with a third, fourth grade education to stand up and say, the question everyone know where's our money mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a simple question everyone wanted to ask it but he, he was the only one to ask it and so I, I think that there are a lot of folks that have a lot of good sense that we need to be listening to and we need to learn from I learned a lot from him I learned to stand up and ask the question I've always found that a lot of people with a lot of book knowledge are usually the least intelligent people you meet <laughs> <laughs> I learned that on a college campus, actually, because it's like, you know, okay, you know what's in the book, but you can't figure out common Common sense stuff, like easy stuff, like what's bigger one-fourth or one-eighth, you know, it's like, like, come on now, (laughs) it's it's simple stuff, and you look at them, and they could read you a whole dissertation, but then you ask them something that's actually going to help them in life, and they're just looking at you like, deer in headlights mm-hmm. like what is going on it's like this is simple stuff you it, should know this stuff it, book knowledge <laughs> no common knowledge right and so I think that's the uh, uh, opportunity that a lot of folks have um, there are a lot of folks who have had some hard times and as I look at kids and teenagers who come from hard circumstances they learn a lot of stuff they're not getting hit by cars when they're younger and they're out playing by themselves Mm-hmm. Now, how that happens, I don't know. I was scared to death with my child <laughs> to be out on the street by herself. I was like, oh, no, that ain't going to happen. But I see these kids riding bikes up and down and across streets who just know how to get along, but they come from hard circumstances. So I wonder if the hardness helped them to mature with some things. They may not have been able to read. 
see Jane uh, chase Tom, but they could stay out of the streets when they were young and play and have fun. Uh, uh, but and no one supervising them. Like I said, mine, I didn't go as far as put a leash on them, but that <laughs> I had some long arms. <laughs> they, they weren't getting too far. I mean, it, one, of the, one of the things that we have really lost is a lot of country knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, having our family farm down in Brandenburg, you go down there and a lot of those people didn't get through fourth grade, didn't get through middle school, but they know so much stuff about life. And a lot of people don't listen because they're like, oh, well, you don't. You're do, not educated, educated enough. Man. Yeah. yeah. It's like. <laughs> don't do it, folks. Listen <laughs> listen to people because mm -hmm. there's a lot of good knowledge out there. People don't have the platform. There's a lot of world-saving, world-changing knowledge out there, but they don't have the platform to get their word out. Mm -hmm. So no one listens to them. And, so, and they're waiting for, some are waiting for that platform, some just. Uh, I'm not going to share it, but there, there's a lot of folks out there who have the knowledge, as well as a lot of these young, younger folks who are in their 20s and 30s and stuff, who are, who are probably out doing some bad stuff at times, but they know some things that we should be tapping into them to make sure we can figure out how to stop some of the badness and, and figure out how to meet and address some of their needs. Yeah, definitely. I want to switch gears for a second. All right. I'm a girl dad. Mm -hmm. You're a three times girl dad. Mm -hmm. What did that teach you? First thing I, I learned, I learned from uh, from early in life. My my prayer was that I had healthy children. Mm. You know, I, it, it taught me some humility because you know we all think that my my name needs to to live on through my child and and there's a lot of pressure uh out there to you need to have a boy child or else your life won't be fulfilled mm. and i i learned to braid hair <laughs> <laughs> i'm still working on that one <laughs> it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing you know i don't know if you all have noticed but hairdressers is a a very lucrative business now and so you know there's no shame in being able to braid hair and take care of hair i've learned uh to have open conversation with them, not the the nasty, you know, men gonna do you wrong and this, that, and the other, but to talk to them about sensitive subjects, sexuality, mm -hmm. and 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 I always preached abstinence, which is sounds a little strange and a little old-fashioned, folks. But I'd say it abstinence, and when you decide to give up abstinence, that's between you and your God. Mm -hmm. So make a decision. And mm -hmm. make a wise decision, and uh, they. I, I'm pretty proud of them girls. I always taught them to do things that everybody else could do. You, you know, you had to go cut the grass. You had to shovel the snow. You had if the cabinet door is broke, you had to figure out how to fix it. And I think they've become well-rounded. In fact, one of my daughters, they call her Bob the Builder, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just goes and fixes the foundation of a building and everything else. And with uh, this YouTube. Well, you can learn all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. nowadays. YouTube so, University, college isn't even required, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that college gives folks an opportunity to uh, explore and and expand their minds in terms of making decisions, in terms of looking at things from different angles. Mm -hmm. And I, I think more so than anything, it gives you a an, an opportunity where there are others who are around you that can debate things with you. 
when mm-hmm. I was in Indiana State, we had the biggest debate going on between uh, the brothers from Indianapolis and the brothers from Gary, Chicago area. And so the brothers in Indianapolis were saying that, and this is about 79, just dated. They were saying that Indianapolis is going to, uh, they heard that Indianapolis is going to vie for Midwestern business and try to take it away from Chicago. Everyone knows Chicago's a hub. So, what? you know, so we had this, this six, eight month argument about could Indianapolis do that? And we finally solved the argument, at least the guys from Chicago and Gary Warren and that. They, they said, well, we have Lake Michigan up there, and for trade and industry, we can ship all kinds of stuff through the lake. In, in Indianapolis, they had the White River, which is about four feet deep. <laughs> so we said, let me see, send some, a barge up that mug, you know. So, <laughs> but in the end, though, when you think about it, look at Indianapolis now. They have the college games every year. Mm-hmm. They have the, I think at the time, they may have had the Pacers. I don't think they had the Colts back in 79. Mm-hmm. They have the Colts. They have the Pacers. They have the college games. I think they have a hockey team. Mm-hmm. They have a semi-pro baseball team. They do a ton of business throughout the year in Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. there was something afoot, but it was a great argument for six, eight months. They still ain't over to Chicago, No, though. no. It's going to be shy. impossible. Not shy. <laughs> um, so one of the things that my four-year-old is teaching me is that I'm always been I've always been a very patient person. Mm-hmm. She makes me even more patient <laughs> because even though she's four, she's a lot older mentally. Yes. Which one of your three is that one? Is one that tries my patience? Yes. <laughs> uh, when they were younger, uh, Shanisa, my middle child, Definitely. tried my patience. Definitely. Because she would have a fit every time we said something to her and stumped up steps. Boom, 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 boom. I almost count the steps. I said, you better come down them steps and I better not hear one, I better not hear your toe touching that one step. And uh, she she's, she was just that that type of uh, young child and, and teenagers where she was just, she wasn't crazy enough to say something crazy to us, but you know, she made herself known that she was unhappy when she stumped up the stairs. I have to agree because she got me in a lot of trouble as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I have three sisters at this point. So, but I I wouldn't trade not one not one minute of hard times or good times. Mm. Uh, and I learned that from a, a older man who told me that uh, he said Brown. You better enjoy it because before you know, they'll be 20 years of age and gone. Yeah. And says, so enjoy every moment, the good times and the bad times. Enjoy it because it won't be long and they'll be gone. Yeah. Ah, the guy told me that the other day. Um, he was like, enjoy it now. Mine's a teenager and she wants nothing to do. <laughs> I was like, wow. I'm trying my best. Um, and I think you're doing a good job. I'm looking at that child. She's she's well spoken. She's well mannered. And so, congratulations. Keep it, up the good work. It ain't just me. She spends a lot of time with her grandmother. I understand. So she's a 65 year old, four year old mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. And and that's what this podcast is about. Mm-hmm. We're losing that. Mm-hmm. We're losing the opportunity for kids to spend times with their grandparents 
and with their uncles, with their aunts, with older adults to help them to to learn some things. And when they don't want to talk to daddy about something that's really sensitive, they'll talk to someone else. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that someone else will lead them in the right direction. And and I've noticed, I've seen it in, in other cultures, and it used to be a thing in black culture where the, the elders raised the kids mainly. Mm-hmm. And and they taught uh, taught the kids the traditions and and matured the child. Right. And then we kind of lost that, you know, over the years. Because we don't want to. Well, I don't. I don't want to. Uh, what was the saying? I'm not going to do to my child what was done to me. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were getting the brakes beat off of you, then I, I can agree. <laughs> I, I can agree that. with that. But if you were getting, uh, you know, what you deserved. Uh, then I, I don't agree with that. And some things, I mean, mannerisms carry. Mm-hmm. I've been very successful in, in in my professional careers, partly because I had manners. Mm-hmm. And folks tell me that, you have manners, Brown. You, you're someone that we don't see. You know, I, I say something, yes sir, to someone who, well, I'll just say it, I used to work in prisons. And so I'd say yes, sir, to guys who, who say, you know, no one calls me sir. They call me inmate. I say, well, you're not an inmate. You're a sir to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I find out different, then I find out different. But right now, you're yes, sir. No, sir. I don't have to. But that's how I'm raised. And so it went a long way for me. A little bit of respect goes a very long way, especially in today's age. Absolutely. Respect is few and far between at this point which is one of my biggest frustrations in my current profession. Mm. Not not the respect part? Dealing with youth. Mm-hmm. Like, we've had a few younger people get hired, and they don't make it, mainly because they don't respect what they do. You know, they do stuff halfway, and they think that's okay. And it just, and when you say something to them, they get upset like a child, right? Because they've never been corrected. You know, when I look at my my bosses, I always say, "Sir," because they've they've been there twenty and thirty years at this point, so they've earned that. So yeah. it's you know, I had a boss that that taught me that lesson um, some years ago about learning the differences in, in expectations. Mm-hmm. There was a, a guy that uh, there was some racial stuff going on at a job, and a person not of color made uh, an accusation. Not a, really an accusation. They, they, they threw something out there about a person of color, and the person ran with it as though the guy was guilty. And it was something about the person of color said something, and they, they took it a different way. And this guy was running with it, and I came in and said, man, that's the oldest trick in the book. What did he say? Specifically, what did he say? <laughs> he said, I don't know, but I think we need to look into it. I said, who needs to look into it? We? We who? <laughs> what, what was said? <laughs> I'm looking into it right now. What was said? Well, go back and find out what was said, and then I'll look into it if something that was said questionable. Right. And so I, I talked to my boss afterwards. I was so mad. I said, how can he not see that? How can, how can he not understand that? And my boss said, you're looking at him through your lens. You know it's an old trick. He said, I'm, I'm a white guy. I know it's an old trick. <laughs> that doesn't mean he knows it. <laughs> I said, how could he not know it? And so I, I think you got to be mindful of 
how folks are raised differently and how they see things, even though it's it's brutal. It's brutal to have to live through some of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm paying you to come here and do this and do it right. If if you can't do it right, you won't be paid and you won't be working in. That should be simple enough. But it's, sometimes it's not necessarily that simple for some folks. Some folks don't see it that mm -mm. way. So. Mm -mm. Yeah, that was the problem I had with... Uh, he was one of us. Mm -hmm. I was trying my best. I gave him all kind of pointers, tips, and everything. Still just didn't want to do right. And it's like, well, the world will humble you at some point. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that brokenness can do something to you, boy. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. So, hunting and fishing is a way of life for you. Absolutely. Where'd that come from? I really. I can't remember other than my my brothers would hunt. I used to fish with my father and some of his friends. He never went hunting with me. I never went hunting with him, and I don't know him to be a hunter. But my brothers, my older brothers, picked it up. And so I'm five years younger than my next brother, so they obviously had a few years on me. And they would, they would take me around with them. And so as we... Uh, started hunting. I think I started hunting at about nine or ten, and it was always uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the um, being able to get out in the fresh air, being able to outsmart animals, if you will. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed being able to eat them. And so what I I learned over the years though is that that was also a great exercise for me. I've never lifted weights, and people swore all on everything that I was a weightlifter. I never lifted weights, but when I think about it, I was up and down hills. Sometimes I'd shoot a rabbit or something, and I had to chase it in a little while, and specifically squirrels. Those jokers are rough. <laughs> you, know, you shoot them jokers, take out running. A rabbit pretty much down. You put a, a squirrel, you have to run him down. And so I wasn't that good of a shot back then. <laughs> and so I, it just stuck with me, and uh, I've learned to love it, and uh, I'm still hunting. I'm not trying to drag any more deer out of the woods at this age, but I'm, I'm still deer hunting. So. Yeah. And see, that's a lost, that's a very lost thing in our community. Especially, I mean, we have grocery stores. People are like, I'm not going to do that. You keep letting them prices keep going. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Bambi's going to disappear real yes, quick. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and it's not, not so much in the South, because mm -hmm. black folks still hunting fish right. in the South. Right. But, you start moving north, west. Right, it's not happening. Very much so, not not at all. No. My brother actually teaches hunter safety, and so he, he's on his like second generation of folks that he teaches the usage of, of firearms and tracking animals, safe shooting, and that. And um, a lot of folks are just come to those classes, and it's it's enjoyable to see parents out with their children going through hunter safety passing on that generations mm -hmm. and that's the one of the main things one of the main reasons this podcast exists is because we were losing so much information from generation to generation absolutely because originally me and dad were supposed to do this podcast okay. years ago okay and i never bought the equipment all right, <laughs> all right. so it's more of a legacy thing at this point. Okay. So, and it, there's going to be a sister podcast. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're so. doing it. There's, there's a need for this. 
Thank you. Um, and there's some lessons in there for you too. There's a lot of lessons. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of lessons. There's yeah. there's stuff that he has told me that I'm just now starting to unpack because okay. now it makes sense. It's it, you know little by little things make sense. Right. So yeah, that's that's how it works at this point. That's exactly how it works at all the points. You know, <laughs> like I said, it's coming. You say something to someone, it's coming back three ways. But if you don't say it, they never get the chance to benefit from it. It might be ten years later that it dawns on them, oh, that's what he was talking about, and it makes sense to do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe twenty years, and maybe never. If you don't say it, it doesn't get said, and it may not get done. So right, and see, I was fortunate enough to be have a lot of great men around me, but I know a lot of guys who didn't. Right. So my my wish is that by doing this somebody may hear and pick up some of that knowledge because they don't have the people around them that could disseminate that knowledge and i've seen a lot of guys that are just like you guys just don't you can you can always tell a guy who hadn't had men around them right i mean instantaneously because you look at them and it's just like Nobody's over there telling you don't do that. <laughs> Tell you that are you crazy? <laughs> you haven't got popped in the back of the head that didn't yet. Make any sense? <laughs> it's like what? Why would you go do that? You can't get a job anywhere. Why would you go get a face tattoo right now? Hmm? It's what, cool. <laughs> it's cool until you can't get no money, yeah. and then you can't get any money to feed yourself, and then or you complain because you got to work at Burger King flipping burgers. <laughs> it's like. That goes back to something I learned in in uh, college in my first year in Savannah. A professor was talking to us about um, job readiness and preparing for the the world of work. Mm-hmm. And what he said to me, and it stuck with me to this day. And I, folks criticized me about it, but it goes back to this professor. He said that the most universal clothing you can wear is a shirt and tie. Mm-hmm. You can tie, you can put your, you know, your tie up to your neck, and it's formal. If you go into an informal event, you just loosen the tie down, and folks will consider that informal. And it's just, it, it just changed my world. I always wear a shirt and tie, and and folks look at a shirt and tie, and they they can't help but to think he means business. Mm-hmm. Now you can open your mouth and then say, "Yeah, who let this guy have a shooting?" <laughs> my my biggest pet peeve, and I got this one from two reasons. Well, three: my grandfather, my father, and ROTC sagging pants. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, mm. It's, it's one of those things. It's like, why you sag? You have a belt on. That's the worst ones. Right. The ones that are sagging and have right. a belt on. Because it's like, you have a belt on. Why? And then when you tell them where it comes from, and then they just look at you like, what? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you do realize you walk around advertising, but... That's, that's <laughs> some kind of weird fashion that I... I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I, I can tell you. It came from late 90s, early 2000 rappers who made it a fashionable mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. because most of them had been in jail mm-hmm. or at least were adopting that that uh, image. Mm-hmm. And 
dudes with I, I couldn't walk out the house I wish I would have <laughs> you talk about getting popped in the chest <laughs> you know I, I went to the airport the other day and they told me to take off my belt I said it's gonna get ugly in here <laughs> I said I got about four steps and it's gonna get ugly in here so I, I, I can't I understand it's some strange fashion that someone thinks is nice looking I just don't agree with that opinion and I try to keep mine up. I had a girl tell me one time she thought that was cute. And I was like, you what? Mm-hmm. She's like, it's cute. I'm like, mm. we are lost yeah. <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Now I understand why my mom's <laughs> dad always wore suspenders. <laughs> it wasn't just fashion. <laughs> no, keep that up. Keep it up. Um. So... Kenosha is one of those places where it's like you don't know it exists until you know it exists. <laughs> right. Like, has it really changed that much? I mean, we, we've seen what happened past couple years. And I've seen it grow from the 90s to now to where it's basically a suburb of Chicago. Mm-hmm. But has it really changed that much? I think Kenosha is a, is a old town in terms of uh, there are folks who have been there they, they came it was largely in an Italian town mm. uh, so there are large a lot of large Italian families there who came over from Italy and they they um, developed roots there and they've stayed there for generation to generation and so there are some well established families uh, in, in that community um there's different monies coming into Kenosha in terms of building. So there are a lot of, uh, you know, the, the industry used to be American Motors and American Brass were the large industries and they made a lot of money for a lot of folks. And then the plants uh, aged out and started de- uh, deteriorating. They tore them down and there were some contracts that uh, didn't go the way of the employee. And so the employer packed up the place and moved it, you know, tore it down and moved it. Mm-hmm. But there's some different monies coming in because there are a lot of malls and stuff that are showing up in that Kenosha area. So, uh, and it's expanding. You know, one of the things is Kenosha geographically sits about 60 miles from the heart of downtown Chicago and maybe 40 miles from the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So it's in a good area. And so some years ago, what uh, the city administrators and others, I believe, figured out is that in Kenosha, you can get a house built for $200,000, $300,000 back then and have a mansion. Mm-hmm. And you just go 10 miles south uh, to the border of Illinois and you couldn't get a shack built for $200,000. <laughs> and so what they figured out is there's a fabulous rail line that goes, there's Amtrak and then there's another commuter rail line that goes from uh, Kenosha to downtown Chicago and they figured out that we can market that to folks and so they were, they did a, a good job of recruiting Illinois folks to come over and, and build their homes in that and moving in Kenosha community and so some of that is, has, has thrived and then there are a few other industries that have done well over there so it's, it's, it's a growing community excuse me, I still think it's a fairly good place to raise a family. Mm. I think the education system is pretty good still. 
even though folks may argue about that. But I, I think that the, the education system is full of, uh, I believe, teachers who really care about students. And I think that they've uh, integrated enough that there's not such, I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> I was going to say not such deep-seated racial views, but I think there are some deep-seated racial views in Kenosha, obviously. But I don't know that it's on Front Street as much. I think that kids can have an opportunity to kind of thrive in the Kenosha area, uh, but you gotta you gotta stay on them, and you gotta stay on that those some of those educators, because folks are scared of our kids. Mm-hmm. They're scared of them. Terrified. And so you know, like Kenosha, like other places, we have teachers who said, you know, a, a, a second year older, second grader uh, cussed at me or pushed me. And so we want the police involved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a second grader. You know, I, I, I they look at maybe, our kids as adults. Maybe I'm just, yeah, maybe I'm just too old. But if a second grader pushed me, I could probably give them a dirty look and make them, you know, mm-hmm. you know, start crying or something. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know where we've gone wrong in that part of the education system. And I had to go back to my mother. My mother was uh, the, the type of teacher, of course, this was in the 70s, who would mandate that you learn something in a class. And she didn't mind stopping the class, getting a substitute, and walking you to your mom and dad's home and telling what you were doing. And so she had that type of reputation. Um, and so it's hard for me to, to grasp that we can't control second graders even though I understand there's a whole bunch of issues with second graders, but I still think what worked then works now. When your mom or dad show up in that school and they're not fighting with your teacher, you're in trouble. See, that's the problem. The jig is up for you. (laughs) You got the parents defending the kids, even though they know them kids ain't doing right a lot of times. You know, I've talked to people in the educational system, and they don't, they they feel their hands are tied. Mm-hmm. I say, well, untie your hands and pick up that cell phone that you got every waking moment and call the mom and dad. Not after the kid is flunked, call him when he's getting his first F, mm-hmm. and say, you know, Stacy is not doing well. He needs some help in here, and I want Stacy to succeed. And I need your help in this. And this is the ways that you can help us. Don't don't. I don't want to hear about my child's flunked. One of the biggest crimes I think I see is. Um Teachers don't get paid enough, especially nowadays. Dealing with the kids they had to deal with now, especially, it's one of those things where we pay an entertainer more than we pay the people educating the children. I, I agree with that. I <laughs> agree know? with that. I agree with that. It's it's like like if in in African tradition, the teacher is held in such high esteem that they're they're up there right you know and it seems like here in the states teachers are just well a lot of times teachers hands are tied too by the system by the school system, by the school system they can't they can't teach the way they would need to teach or the way they would like to teach because they have to teach either towards the test mm-hmm. or they're not getting the support they need. 
I'm going to talk about teachers not being paid enough because it, mm. it just dawned on me that at some point in my career I was a principal of an alternative school. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely difficult to deal with these kids who have a, a bunch of things going on in their, their their personal life, in their home life. Are they getting fed enough? You know, mm-hmm. do they have to struggle for food? Or are they staying in a, a car or something now? And I, I think I, I want to impress upon the teachers that kids are kids are, are kids. They're little hum, humans. They come with all kinds of different behaviors. And I don't know that the, the behaviors have changed over the years in terms of there's some bad acting kids. There's some kids. What was ADHD before we diagnosed it? You're just, just a kid. You're just a bad kid. <laughs> You know, and so how do we deal with it way back then? PE. Yeah, and so I, I think some of the things that, that need to happen is that we we have to d- try some different methods. We keep saying that the kids, that the teachers' hands are tied, and I do agree that some school systems uh, don't allow some things. In D.C., I think, for example, I was talking to an educator out in D.C. who said that he would tape the kids acting bad and show it to their parents. And uh, he was prohibited from doing that. But I think that was powerful. Yeah. I think that's powerful. You got proof. <laughs> <laughs> you know? this, is, this is your son. You, you tell me what you think of it. Yeah, because any other way, it's like, that's not my child. Right. My child would never do right. that. Yeah, and then you see the video, and it's like, oh, Okay, looks like well, him. <laughs> Yeah, that's him. Because I, mean, I have quite a few friends that are teachers, and they always talk about how they have to come out of their own pocket Mm-hmm. To buy a lot of the stuff they need. That's correct. I believe that's correct. in the school, and it's like, but that's what the school system is for. Yes. Like, my tax dollars are going towards the school system, who should be providing everything for the kids, so that the teachers can do their job effectively. And a lot of times they can't because they have to provide everything, and it's like. Something's wrong. There's a breakdown somewhere. Yeah. And then there's... Our kids are different. We know our kids are mm-hmm. different. And a, a lot of times the teachers don't know how to deal with our kids. Scared to death. Scared to death. Scared to death. Terrified. A, a second grader? A second grader. I, I wish. Man, you better sit your... Little <laughs> boy, sit down. You know, it's, it's, and it... They, they always talk about how boys should be taught in boys' schools. And it's not just the distraction of girls. It's that boys and girls learn differently. Okay. Like, boys are very... Like, girls can sit there and learn, and but boys have to be hands-on because their brain's moving. Boys got to move. Okay. And then you take PE out of a lot of the schools. No one of the kids got ADHD. You don't get to burn off that extra energy. Right. A two-year-old, oh, a two-year-old, second-grade boy's got a lot of energy, and he has to sit there in a classroom and listen and learn. Of course, he's going to be looking around and ready to go and want to talk because he hasn't burned any energy off. I listen yes. to some teachers who say that kids, and, and this is young kids, uh, they can tear up the room and. And they're instructed not to 
and I, I guess I understand it, not to try to restrain the kid. I don't understand how they don't protect other children from a kid who's deciding to get up and throw chairs. So I don't know what's going on in the school system training. I got a story about that. We'll talk about that all. <laughs> I don't understand what's, what's going on with, with the training of that. I do understand, and I wasn't a trained teacher before I was hoisted into this uh, principalship, but I, I learned a lot during that two-year period to try to catch up and, and, and run an effective school. And so I knew how to manage it. I, I didn't know the... Um, curriculum development. I learned some of it. I never fully understood all of it. But I think there's a lot that can be done with with the, the teaching methodology uh, that, that teachers have at their disposal. But they they got to figure out a way to... They, they have a hard job. It always has been mm-hmm. a hard job. Definitely. Talking about are they the parent or the teacher. You always have been both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no question about that. Teachers back in the day had a little bit more leeway. Yeah, yeah, they had, they had, they had a few paddles that, that stopped <laughs> yeah, some of right. that stuff. You know, you, yeah, may be, you, may, you may have ADHD, but you know what this paddle's for. <laughs> yeah, you gonna sit still right now. <laughs> Got a ruler with your name on it. Mm-hmm. And good old corporal punishment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, sometimes you got it. That's the way you get the attention. Uh, and I understand that, and, and I understand that that law. Mm-hmm. I just believe that that law wasn't has unintentional consequences. And for example, the, the law was designed to take care of folks who were punching small children mm-hmm. to, to try to correct them. I, I don't think the law was designed for a person who was getting a strap and taking two licks to the behind. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what the law was designed to do. But the unintentional consequence is they lump them all together. So the, the kid who gets punched in the eye has naturally uh, been abused child. Mm-hmm. The kid who's been paddled on the behind three times is an abused child too, according to the law. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot of people nervous. And I, I think that you, you got to work on it got to work on it before you get to the paddling. You know, a couple of good stern looks might do it for you if you, if you do that in a timely manner. When I got my degree, everybody asked me, oh, so you're going to be a teacher? I'm like, no. No, I couldn't be a teacher. Well, why not? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. It's like, but, you know, you're good, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna take that one kid, right? And then I'm be in jail, <laughs> right? It's like you turn eighteen, when? Okay, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I couldn't do it. So Prince Hall Masonry has been a very big part of your life. Absolutely. What's the number one thing it's taught you? Um, Prince Hall Masonry continues to teach me things like. The secrets of masonry, everyone says, we got these secret things that mm. we we have. And, and that's true, but it's, it's not as true as some folks think it is. For example, the emblems we have, you see, are, they're building tools. There's a compass, there's a square. A compass mm. is used to do boundaries, if you will. A square is to make sure things are square. That's what the, the layman learns from them. In Prince Art Masonry, that compass and square teaches me something about 
my boundaries and my duties. And so it's a reminder uh, to me on a daily basis whenever I see the emblem, actually I wear an emblem, uh, and so it reminds me of who I'm supposed to be, who mm. I'm supposed to act like. Before, actually it was after I became a Prince or Mason, but a couple years afterwards a, another man gave me something uh, that, that's insightful to me. And he, what he told me is that everything I do is a representation of three people. It's a representation of me, it's a representation of my family, and it's a representation of my people. And so if someone sees me pick an injured cat out the, the, the street, but they don't know me, they'll say, those black guys are all right. I saw one of them pick an injured cat out of the street and nurse him back. If they know my family, they say, them browns are all right. I saw one of them pick an injured cat up and nurse him back. Someone who knows me personally says, Stacy Brown's all right. I saw him pick up an injured cat and nurse him back. So it, it's a kind of reminder, as long as Prince, as well as Prince Armasonry, of the, some of the things that I'm supposed to be about, as well as a reminder that some things I need to stay away from. Some things that I may want to do, I need to stay away from. Mm-hmm. And so that's been that reminder for me. And it's also been a, a great. Um, Brotherhood. So I know uh, brothers from all over the place, all over the United States, as well as some brothers in China and the Middle East. So it's been a a great opportunity for me to learn people, to talk with people, and to learn different things. There was a quote from a video I was watching. It was uh, Professor James Small. He was talking about Prince Hall Mason. He said, the building tools are there to help build men to build the community. I would agree with him. And you, you hear a lot of uh, particular Masons that will tell you that Masonry will make a good man better. Hmm. It won't make a bad man good. If you're a bad man, you shouldn't be getting a petition. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you think you're joining, but I mean, you around here acting crazy. <laughs> True. All right, so we're getting close to the end here. Okay. So, it was something I was listening to the other day. And the question was posed to the guest. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay. You meet a 21-year-old man, freshly turned 21. What's five things you tell him to get him through life? One thing I would tell him is I would congratulate him on making it this far. That mm-hmm. may sound strange, but mm-hmm. one of the things I'll say to a young brother is I'm proud that you've been able to make it thus far, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would, would, if I had to give him instruction, I would I would say to him to take care of your family. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you take care of your family and yourself. That would be one and the same. Mm-hmm. Take care would be the general subject. Uh, the third thing I'd talk to him about is that's a very good question. <laughs> um, using, being able to get involved in using his platform whatever that is to do his civic duty mm-hmm. which is I, I, I would classify that as separate from taking care of himself and his family 
take what you repeated on the line. So take care of your community. Hmm. You know, you're a young man and you have a lot of life ahead, Lord willing. And hopefully you've learned a lot of things and now it's time for you to, you're going to be the old school soon. Mm-hmm. You know, it, some people may take it as an insult. But when you think about it, somebody calling you old school, that means something that they have some level of respect for you mm-hmm. right off the bat. And so, you've made it. So make sure you take care of that community. Um, if I'd have a fourth suggestion for him, it would be to uh, take care of the finances in his life. Understand them. Uh, ask any questions he asks of anyone, including myself, and make sure he takes care of the finance of himself, which will allow a lot of the other things to fall in place. And the lastly, I would, it should be first, but I'd, I'd encourage him to make sure he has an adequate walk with God. Because too many of us, you know, we, we talk about morals and this and that and the other, but morality begins with that Bible and that understanding, and as well as that walk with God, whoever he calls his God. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure he has a walk with God because I think that's, we all call God, God. Right. We call him a bunch of different names, Yahweh and a bunch of names, but we all say God. And so I make sure he has a, a spiritual walk. That's so good. That would be my five. Yeah. And then I'd offer him anything he needed from me. There you go. That wouldn't be advice, but that would just be an offer. There you go. That's perfect. I couldn't couldn't think of a better way to end this. Thank one. you. <laughs> oh no no, I do have one. What's your favorite thing to fish? What's your favorite fish to catch? I should say. Catfish. <laughs> I love catfish. Man. I, I love to fish all kinds of fish, but I love that catfish. I love to eat catfish. I love to fight at catfish. <laughs> I just yeah, I got to work hard for bass and other things, but I love that catfish more. And what's your favorite thing to hunt? Um, rabbit. I hunt, rabbit hunt in Michigan with a, a brother from Ben Harbor, Michigan. And he has some good dogs and he has there are a lot of lands out there that we can hunt in. So I think rabbit is my favorite to hunt. All right. Well, with that, um, I'm a firm believer in telling the people that you love that you love them when you see them and when you don't. So... Stacy, I love you. I love you too, brother. I'm so proud of you too. Thank you. Keep it up. And with that, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Wisdom Pop or Pops Wisdom, on Twitter at Wisdom Pops, and email is popswisdom68 at gmail.com. And as always, see you next time. Peace.